This is Terrio Media. How to own or finance real estate is a strategy that lives next to that unicorn in the woods for many investors. But what I continue to find is that they're not that hard to find as people simply just don't know how to put deals like this together when they do find them. They don't recognize them. And after more than 100 owner finance deals under my belt, I'm going to show you how to do it. You ready? Let's go. Welcome to the all-new Epic Real Estate Investing Show, the longest-running real estate investing podcast on the interwebs, your source for housing market updates, creative investing strategies, and everything else you need to retire early. Some audio may be pulled from our weekly videos and may require visual support. To get the full premium experience, check out Epic Real Estate's YouTube channel, epicrei.tv. If you want to make money in real estate, sit tight and stay tuned. If you want to go far, share this with a friend. If you want to go fast, go to reiace.com. Here's Matt. All right, so by the time we're done, you'll know everything that you need to know about buying real estate using owner financing. And at the end, I'm going to give you my own owner finance contract that I and my students use to put these types of deals together. All right, so let's get started. If you're up for your first or next investment property, at some point, you'll have to get your funds together to complete the purchase. And most people will go to the bank and their approval will be dependent on their credit worthiness, their financial stability, and sometimes even their experience investing in real estate. And if you get approved, you then have to deal with the underwriting process, the appraisal, inspections, application fees, admin fees, document fees. If you've dealt with a bank lately, you know that they kill you with the fees and they're going to want a 20 to 25% down payment. And you never know what other hoops that you're going to have to jump through. But there's another way to buy investment property almost without having to deal with any of this. And that's through owner financing. You see, this is a transaction in which a property seller finances the purchase directly with the person or entity buying it either in whole or in part. And this type of arrangement can be advantageous for both buyers and sellers because it eliminates the time, guidelines, and costs associated with banks most of the time. Most people understand what owner financing is, but many just don't understand how to do it. So I'm going to walk you through a recent deal of mine because there's a secret to pulling this off and I'm going to let you in on it. But the first thing you're going to need is a motivated seller that owns their property free and clear. And that right there oftentimes stops people from even trying because they don't realize that more than one third of all homes in the United States are owned free and clear. Now stick with me until the end and I'll show you how to get a free list of motivated sellers of free and clear properties right there in your market. I mean, there are more of them than people even realize and it's a really easy list to get. You'll be totally surprised. So the secret to getting a seller to agree to owner financing it's all in the presentation because most investors will make three big mistakes in their presentation that prevents them from getting these types of deals done. The first one is they just don't ask for it. Either they're afraid to, or they don't know how to put the deal together, or they don't know how they're going to profit from it if the seller should say yes. Now, the second mistake is that they ask for it way too soon because most sellers don't even know what owner financing is. And if they do, they're mostly still very focused on getting their price and they want the cash or they think they do. And more on that in just a second. Now, the third mistake, the buyer confuses the seller because the buyer doesn't explain it well. Typically, it's because the buyer will use too much jargon or they'll lose focus on the benefits to the seller and the seller just kind of zones out. So if you can avoid those three mistakes, you're way ahead of the game. And so I'll now share with you my secret of how to pull this all together so you can get more sellers to agree to owner financing with you. So last week, I visited a lady who inherited a free and clear property. 
And one of my VAs found her cold calling this list and I'll show you how to get for your market in just a minute. The property, it belonged to her mom and she wants to sell it. And one of the uh, questions I always ask is, if I were to buy it, would I have to pay off any mortgages, liens, or judgments for you? I ask that way because I've learned I get better answers from sellers if I offer to pay off their mortgage rather than asking, do you have a mortgage or how much do you owe on your house? It's subtle, but it's been a difference maker. Anyway, she inherited the property free and clear. So I did some quick and dirty math and, and had the after repair value right around $325,000. And after subtracting the repairs that she shared with me and then carving out a small little profit for myself, I figured that I needed to get the property in the ballpark of two hundred twenty-five to $250,000. Now, after viewing the property, it was pretty much as she explained it over the phone. And when I gave her my number of $225,000, she wasn't too excited about it. And she asked for $275,000. So my reply was this. I was like, hmm, you know, I'm not sure, considering the repairs needed, that the market will support that. So let me think about it. But, but on a side note, you know, I've got a chunk of money sitting on the side and I've been wondering where to put it. May I ask, what do you plan on doing with your proceeds from the sale? And she said she was going to put it in a dividend stock to generate some monthly income from it. And she was a little excited about the idea of it too. And so I asked her, how much of a, a monthly dividend does a, an amount like that produce? And she said, conservatively, my financial advisor said I could expect about $800 a month. And then I told her, the reason I'm asking is because I might be able to do better than that for you. Here's what I mean. You see, the price that you're asking for this house, it's a little bit above my risk tolerance right now due to supply costs and the labor shortage at the moment. But if the market allowed me to give you the $275,000, I could give you some money now and the rest later. I mean, so how much of that do you need right now? And she said, I could use $10,000 right now or so. And I asked, great. I mean, that would be more than what your dividend stock is going to pay. So she thought about it for a moment and then she said she would do it. Now, this was about a 45 minute conversation, lots of small talk and stuff in between, but that's the gist of how this meeting went. And then I was able to work out a six month moratorium on the first monthly payment to allow me to get my rehab work done. But the point I want you to get here is first, I went for the discounted price because that's what sellers understand. And most of the time, it's the most important thing to them, getting a good price. The second thing was when we didn't agree on the price, I dug a little deeper into her motivation for selling. And this is really important because the deal isn't in the property. It's in the seller's motivation to sell the property. She had a need for monthly income, but didn't want to be a landlord. The owner financing idea solved her need. And I made sure it was a little bit better than what she was going to do with it. Third, I asked in plain and simple English and never use the words owner financing or any other jargon. I didn't do any of that, not even once. By no means is saying owner financing or seller financing a deal breaker, but it's typically easier to understand and less intimidating for sellers by offering to give them some money now and the rest later. I mean, a fifth grader would understand that. And that's kind of what you want. So the plan for this property is to fix it up to rent ready condition, as opposed to the retail ready condition I originally budgeted for. And then I'm just going to place a tenant in it. And the market rent for that property is $2,500. Then after making those $900 payments to the seller, principal only payments, if you didn't catch that, my net cash flow should be right around $600 per month. Now I am coming in with the $10,000 plus the closing costs to close. And I've budgeted $20,000 for the rehab. And that's going to put this deal right around a 22% cash on cash return. Now there's not a ton of equity in it and that's okay. But my $900 principal only payment will create that for me and relatively quickly. And so I'll likely refinance all of that cash out in two to three years. Now from here, you could hire an attorney to put the finance contract together for you, but it's not necessary. I just give my title officer my note with some instructions 
and then uh, she just does it for me. If you'd like a copy of the financing contract that I used for this deal, you can grab it for free at epicpromissorynote.com. And what you'll need to pull off these types of owner finance deals for yourself is a list of motivated sellers who own their properties free and clear. And you can get a free one for your market by going to epicpropstream.com. Accept their free seven-day access and then just download your list. It's that, it's that easy. If you like the service, after seven days, you can pay their very reasonable subscription fee. Or if you want to cancel, just cancel. Either way, you've got your free list of free and clear properties. We'll be back with more right after this. Hope is not a financial strategy. Let's get back to work. Hey, Rockstar. I got another live call that I want to share with you today. It was a seller finance deal that I put together, I don't know, four or five days ago. And I was actually in the car when it happened. And so when we reached an agreement with the seller, and so I, I didn't have the ability to record at the time. But I do want to share with you the initial call because this seller was relatively, oh, he's very unmotivated initially. And so I just exercised and deployed a few of the normal sales techniques that I always do. And so I wanted to share that with you. All right. So enjoy it. And I'll see you at the end. Is Matt and I, I think you talked to my assistant Jen earlier about possibly selling your house on. Yeah. Okay. Cool. She, she had to run out. She just left me some notes here, and I can barely read her, her writing here. And I just wanted to run through some things real quickly to see if this would be a good fit for us. Do you have a few minutes? Okay. Cool. Um, one thing I wasn't able to discern was: is this as, as a house or is this a duplex? She never asked that. Oh, okay. I was just looking up the, the address online and it was hard for me to tell because it came up as a, a unit number and then it had a, but it also came up. How about up. this? Because uh, I got a call, two calls from you guys before. How about if you guys did come up and uh, we can make an appointment for you guys to come out and uh, we'll walk through it from there. Got it, got it, yeah. I'm in Las Vegas, actually, and I have a partner on the ground there. I just wanted to, like, see if this was something, you know, I don't want to waste your time and come out and not be a good fit for us. Well, you're, you're, you're either your partner or whoever you have that mm -hmm. can come out. Mm -hmm. Because uh, we spoke three times. Uh, you guys could just come out, just give me a call ahead of time, okay. and we can just walk through everything and... Okay. Cool. Maybe I've got to go from there. All right. Maybe you're confusing us with someone else. I mean, we, we just called you for the first time a few hours ago. No, because the, the same people called and they said this, like, basically asked the same as that question. Oh, well, someone else might be looking at it too. And it's probably because the, the records that are shared publicly are a little confusing. So that's why I was just confirming. Mm. That's all. Um, okay. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to come out and look at it, and I certainly will, but I don't want to waste your time. Are you living in the property right now, or is it vacant? It's vacant. It's vacant, okay. And then um, the general condition of the house, she said it was, it was pretty good. Um, from one to 10, okay, perfect. And then uh, you just recently started thinking about selling it, so this hasn't been something that's on your mind, right? Right. Okay, perfect. And, and what's, the, what's the reason that you actually are thinking about selling it? Uh, but, I mean, there's no particular reason. It's just if uh, if the price is right, mm -hmm. uh, I'm willing to come off of it. Okay. So if if 
idea of, uh, I mean, I'll check with the current market conditions, but do you have an idea what properties like yours are selling for? Yes, yeah, so it's selling between the, the 75 and well, in that area, plus that area, probably like, like around the 75, 90 right? Okay, very good. And then um, what, what's the lowest price that you might consider? The lowest price I'm from on 80. 80, okay. And that's in, under the right conditions that wouldn't be negotiable at all? No, I think that I uh, I actually I told her uh, I'm thinking about uh, in the patio on the back. Uh huh. So okay. if uh, if I get some more stuff done to it within uh, before you guys decide to you want to purchase it, if any if anything I want a little bit more. Okay. Under the circumstances of me, like you know coming out of my pockets, but more additions to the to the problem. Got it. All right. So this is something you'd actually consider fixing it and selling for a higher price. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cause that's probably, I mean, that's what we're going to do as well. So, I mean, if that's what you have in the plans and, uh, that'd probably be probably your best option. Have you considered calling a realtor? Uh, not yet because I'm, you know, it's a, it's a family, a family house. So Got it. if anything, uh, you know, one of us will move in it. So, I mean, it's no, it's no biggie. Okay. On selling it. Like I said, I'll, I'll keep it with, you know, with me, but if the number's right in it, Okay, perfect. Um, I mean, I could probably, based on what I'm seeing right now, I could probably get pretty close. Um, maybe, I mean, maybe I could hit your number exactly if you would be willing to, to take some money now and the rest later. Would that be something you'd be willing to do? Like if you made payments over time and gave you a down payment? Uh, yeah, that, that, that sounds good. Uh, it depends on, you know, Okay. Super. So if we did something like that, how much would you need right now, right away? Uh I think we could work on I say thirty. Okay. If we do thirty down. All right. That'd be Okay. The low, the lowest I'll do mm-hmm. twenty down, but I really to get to get you know stuff rolling. Mm-hmm. I really want looking towards the thirty. Okay, perfect. And then um, the question I had here, and I don't know if she got this one. Do you have an idea if we were to use it as a rental, what it would rent for? No, I'm not. I'm not sure. Like I said, I, I haven't put too much thought into the whole. Okay. All right, so let me um, because because kind of what I would make payments on to you would be be kind of determined by what we could actually rent it for. So I don't think the down payment is out of the question, and that doesn't sound too extraordinary. That's something I could probably make happen for you, but uh, it just be the payment part. So let me do a little bit um, of research with regard to the. I mean, around the, around the area, people are paying for those. They're paying like around a thousand. Okay. So and you know, and that's just off of this. Just the conversations like this. Sure. You know, just around, uh, you know, around the world. Okay. That, that's, that actually sounds probably like it's accurate. So it is a house, yeah. though. It's not a duplex, right? It's uh, up and down. It's an up and down. So there are two units. Yep. Got it. And so when you say 1,000, would that be like 500 above, 500 below, or 1,000 for each? The down, the down is actually a bigger 
bigger than uh than the top. Mm-hmm. So I'll say probably the down you probably could you probably could do and it has um you know uh, the wood deck mm-hmm. in the back. So I'll say probably you probably could get like around like eight for, for the down and, and probably like for up I'll probably say like around like six, six uh, seven. Okay. You know? Yeah, but how the rate, how the market rate is now, you probably can't get, you know, eight up, eight top, you know, probably close to a a, a thousand down. Okay, perfect. perfect. But everything's everything's good. There's no, um, if anything, down and probably just have this dispo, you know, if somebody wants like the word cabinet or so. But mm-hmm. like I said, the cabinets aren't. It's not really. It's nothing but bad. Spent those things put in. Super. Um, let me um, do just do a little bit more research and, and confirm some of this stuff so I, I can give you a real offer that I'd be able to back up. Um, okay. And then uh, we can go from there. If we came in on, you know, we have the down payment right, the payments felt right to you, would this be a later or sooner thing you'd be ready to make happen? Like I said, if the, if the money's right and everything is in line, mm-hmm. uh, shit, it can come down here tomorrow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, I mean, no, it's no, you know, if later, then that's fine too. If sooner, I'm cool with that too. All right, cool. Um, yeah, so let me go ahead and just, um, I'll give my, my partner there in the area a call and then I'll look at the market a little bit more. When's a good time for me to call you back when you could be in front of your computer? Uh, you can just give me a call any time during the, any time during the week. Uh, okay. I'll say probably between uh, uh, Okay, perfect. And then Monday through Friday. All right, it was a pleasure. I'm glad we got that, that straightened out and uh, I'll be in touch soon. All right. Thanks, bud. Bye. Thanks for sitting tight while we pay our light bill. We'll be back right after this. Ever hear someone say, I have too much money? Me neither. Let's get you some more. Back to the show. Today, we're going to talk about the crashing market that everyone is talking about. Headlines keep coming up and and the YouTube notifications come up and the podcast notifications and new releases coming up. Everyone's talking about the crashing market and this is the absolute ed. So that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to look at the data and you get to, so that you, we, you can see it in a way where you can make up your own mind. We're going to go over the individual markets that are predicted to crash, the, the, where they're, everyone's predicting that the price is going to fall. But first, I want to go through uh, um, just kind of what June's number is going to get a, a little snapshot, you know, nationally. Then we'll go regionally, okay, and see if your market's on there. But when you're looking at the market or anything really in, in our in, a, in our economy, you're always looking to see at supply and demand. We've talked about that a lot here, right? The supply is really, really low. We all know that. And the demand is way, way up, meaning that there's more people than we got houses. Now, the interest rates are kind of crushing the demand. But that doesn't crush the need for people that want to have a roof over their head. So always keep that in mind. So if we see some sort of correction, we see some sort of crash based on the, the, the actual, uh, 
demographics, it can't last. People are going to have to put a roof over it. Something will have to change, right? So, you know, back in 2007, 2008, that crash was very much based on speculation. People were buying houses, anticipating them to go up and rise, and everyone just bought too many, and then it crashed because we didn't have enough people that, to live in those houses. That's completely reversed this time around. So these houses that, that are being consumed are not necessarily being consumed on speculation. They're being consumed because people need them to live in, whether they're buying them or if they're buying them and renting them out, they still got plenty of renters to live in them. So that's a big difference uh, between now and 2000 crash. But if we look at the active listing count, because this has been the big story, right? The inventory. So listings that are on the market, they kind of go through a seasonal uh, pattern, a seasonal trend. You can see these top three lines. This kind of represents a normal market. So this was 2017, 2018, 2019. You kind of see this nice little flow and basically all three of those years were essentially the same. Then this line right here in the middle that's on this decline, this is the decline of 2020, our year of the pandemic, right? So inventory dropped considerably. And a lot of people think it was a pandemic-induced drop, but I don't think it was. I think it was something very different at work. But here we are, this was 2021 was this green line. And here we are in 2022 is this bottom yellow line. So you can see we hit this, the really bottom of inventory right around February, maybe March. Some people are saying March, but based on this graph right here, we're about February, but now we're rising up and everyone's talking about this huge surge in inventory, right? So uh, inventory is just houses are coming on the market and there's all this inventory. And now that's going to cause the housing to pop. Well, Really, right now, all we see is it's just resuming the trend, but still we're historically level. We're significantly lower than our normal markets in 2017, 19. But we could essentially come up quite a bit and not really cause any sort of alarm based on a normal housing market. So just kind of keep that in mind. And then uh, July, I don't have that graph with me, but July, it has gone up again. So this yellow line is continuing to rise but at a slower rate. So we're seeing already this curve right here is happening for July. So then the pending listing count. So pending means properties that are under contract where people have made their offer, they got their offer accepted and they're waiting to close. So we can see a, quite the reversal here. We can see 2017, 18, 19 are these numbers down here at the bottom. So of all these properties here that were for sale, it was a smaller number that were actually under contract. And so as we see here, we're, we're seeing that the housing contracts are being canceled. We're hearing that a lot. And that's kind of where this decline right here is for 2022. But we've got more houses under contract than we did here, but we got it with much less inventory. So the demand is still really strong according to the, these charts here. Um, newly listed homes. So newly listed homes are on the rise. So you can see this. Um, is up here and we're approaching kind of a normal level based on the newly, uh, the monthly newly listings, but we're already starting to see it edge over. Okay. And I think there's one more here. This was interesting. <clears throat> so we're thinking that, that the, the market is slowing down and, and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's about to pop, but here's our average days on market. How long it takes for a house to actually sell from the time they put it on the market to the time that it goes into contract. Okay. Does it go as a contract or does it go in when it actually closes? Let's see. I think it's when it closes. It doesn't matter whether it's 30 days uh, longer or 30 days shorter. It's not going to matter as far as the point I'm making here. But we can see houses are still 
on the market for only 30 days and they're gone. Well, although the sales activity may be slowing, still historically low days on market. So the market is really still robust. Okay. So I wanted to show you that to kind of give you a glimpse of what's actually happening. Um, then the median list price. This is kind of normal because it's going to get higher each year as, as appreciation happens. So this is the listing price. And so let's talk about that. So if we go over here to home prices, um, where are they actually going particularly to fall? We've seen what they've been doing. We, that's not really news. We see that rising. But I, it's good to look this, to get this like a big picture view. Because if we hear like, hey, um, the inventory surged 18%, but that, that sounds crazy. But it's 18% of what? It's 18% of a really low number. So we want to keep all of this stuff into perspective. So home prices have begun falling. Here are the cities that are down the most. And one thing that uh, this article points out, this is from our realtor.com. This is not a repeat of the Great Recession when a housing bubble popped and prices plummeted across the country. These are mostly smaller decreases that don't pretend another crash. So if you restart reading these articles and you get into the nitty gritty, you start seeing that, oh, the data is not that bad. I try to lure you in with the headlines and then you start reading a little bit deeper and it tells a little bit of a different story. But here are the 10 markets where they say hey, where home prices are falling the most. Now, it's key to have the distinction of where home prices are falling the most. Which price? It's not the sales price that's falling. It's the listing price that's falling. So what that means is, you know, a seller thinks, oh, that guy next to me, his house sold for $500,000, then I'm going to put mine on the market for 550. And then nobody comes to look at his house now, like in the current market. So he has to lower it to 540, 530, 520, and then he sells it for 510. So he might have had a significant or a, a big number of price reductions, but he still sold it for more than his neighbor did. So keep that distinction. It's, there's, the, there's what the seller's expectations are, and there's what the buyers are actually validating as far as price goes. So we've got Toledo, Rochester, New York, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Springfield, Tulsa, Los Angeles, Memphis, Chicago, and Richmond, Virginia. So are where, where sellers are becoming more realistic and dropping prices. Okay. So Toledo, and you can see right here, median listing price, the listing price, not a sales price. So in Toledo, they dropped at 18.7%. Rochester, New York, they dropped at 17. Detroit, 15. Pittsburgh, they dropped at 13%. So these are very ambitious sellers in these markets. And now they're becoming, uh, coming to grips with reality. Uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, negative 5.8%. Tulsa, Oklahoma, negative 5. Los Angeles, down 5%. Memphis, down 4.6. 3.7. And Richmond. And this is what I thought was interesting. Of these top 10 markets, once you get to the 10th one, it's only a 3% drop in the listing price. That's a little bit. It's just 3%. Okay. So there's that. There's their version. We've got two other, three other versions. None of us has a crystal ball. So we got to look at a few different uh resources, right? A different source information. So here, housing prices are expected to drop in these cities. We'll see if yours is right at this one of your markets. And they talk about overvalued markets. And it's very, that could be a very broad definition. So the housing market is overvalued. That's it's what it means. It's home prices are higher than expected compared to average local incomes. Okay. So it's that it means the people that work there can't afford those houses, but people are still buying them. And we see that in a lot of our luxury areas. I went on a trip last summer to uh, Jackson, Hole, Wyoming with my son and half the restaurants were closed. And I had asked the guy at the, the hotel clerk, 
you know, what, um, how come all the restaurants were closed? I actually, I was actually thinking it was the pandemic and people were still kind of reeling over COVID and everything. He says, no, they, the, the service people that work at the restaurants, they can't afford to live there. So you could look at Jackson, Old Wyoming as an overvalued area, but are people really going to sell? Do you think there's going to be a crash? No, the people that are living there, they, they can afford it and they bought it and they don't plan on moving. That's their dream home they're staying. And you'll see some of those in these other areas like Boise, Idaho. That was another big uh, place. So 73% overpriced or overvalued. Um, Sherman did in Texas, Muskegon, Michigan, Morrison, Tennessee. So you can see all of these areas are overvalued, but it just means the housing price compared to the local income. Okay. So let's look at this one here. This is from fortune. This is a, a really, a little bit better of a uh, depiction of what's going on. It's a visual, so to speak. All right. So the headline here is housing markets labeled high risk of home price drop just spiked 73%. Find your local market using this interactive map. That sounds crazy. The, the home price drop just spiked. The risk of a home price drop just spiked 73%. Oh my God, the sky is falling, right? All right. So if you dig deeper into it, here's what we see. So CoreLogic, um, they're a data resource center. They do a lot of research. Um, they predict U.S. home prices are poised to rise another 5.9%. So nationally, they're going to rise still 5.9%. But not every housing market will be so lucky. Fortune reached out to CoreLogic to see if it would provide us it's a cement on the nation's largest regional housing markets. Among the 392 regional housing markets, it looked at CoreLogic found 35 markets had a greater than 50% chance of seeing local home prices decline over the next 12 months. Last month, only 26 markets. That's a 73% jump. So it's just a 73% jump in their prediction, right? All right. So if you look at these areas, very highest categorized is over a 70% chance of a price dip. So if you see the red here, that means very likely of a price dip. And if you look at the blue, very low chance. And then that, that in the middle, there are the pinks and the light blues. But you can see most of the country, most of the country is this very, very low or light blue as far as pricing, uh, predicting the pricing, price dropping. And then if you go here, it's basically right here along the coast is where you're actually going to see a very high chance. That just says it's a high chance of a price dip. It doesn't say it actually happened. Okay. Next, let's go over to Bloomberg. Uh, U.S. new home sales fall more than forecast at two-year low. So purchases dropped 8.1% in June to annualize 597,000 rate. Um, these are new homes. These are not people deciding to sell their home and putting their existing home on the market. So these are the sales of the new homes. So sales of new U.S. homes for the fifth time this year in June to a more than two-year low as a mix of high prices and rising mortgage rates for prospective buyers, okay? So purchases, they decreased 8.1% and they continue to slow. There was one piece of data here I wanted to get for you. So the new homes, there was, so there's nine months of inventory of homes that are built or are in the process of being built. But the new home builders have actually stopped building new homes. So there's not going to be this flood of new houses hitting the market. So we see the sales activity dropping, right? The number of sales are decreasing. We're hearing about in the headlines that prices are dropping, but those are the listing prices. If we look at the latest report, so we can see right here. So there's been $5.12 million, um, million homes sold. 
So the month over month, that's a decrease of 5.4%. So the sales activity dropped 5.4%. Year over year, that's a 14.2% drop. That's a big deal. But if you look here, the median sales price is $416,000 is actually up 13%. So yeah, the number of homes being sold are, is falling, right? It's decreasing. But the actual value or the price of the houses that are being sold is rising. So what does that mean to us as real estate investors? Well, first part, when we look at the inventory, this is how I'm determining it for my own. I look at the inventory and I'm like, okay, we're still really, really low. I can still buy rentals as long as I can get them to cash flow. I'm still going to be fine because the inventory is so low and we're not going to see any new homes hitting the market. And we're already seeing a decline of the new livings, the dec a decline in the rate of growth of new homes hitting the market. So the supply and demand is still very much in favor of an investor. It's still very much in favor long-term for the home buyer, regardless of the interest rates, right? So you can see this is the growth of the population uh, divided up in, not the growth, but that our whole population divided by age, the generation. So here's our millennials, this yellow number here in the middle. And right here at this peak, that's age 32 years old. If we come down two little bars down here, this is about 34 years old. And the reason I point that out is the age of the average first time home buyer is 34 years old. So what that means is over the next 24 months, maybe even 36 months, the housing market is going to see more demand for housing than it's ever seen before in the history of the country. So that is a good condition to keep buying real estate. Because if, if the first time home buyers can't afford it, they still need shelter. They're still going to have to live somewhere. So they're going to be renters. And what we're seeing right now is rents are starting to catch up and overtake the growth rate of the actual housing prices. So the demand, we can't deny it, right? The demand, we can't deny it. And the supply, the numbers are right there in black and white. So that's what it means for landlords and investors. What does it mean for fix and flippers? Well, the, the real estate agents are all reporting right now that they're not seeing the massive amounts of auctions for houses, the overbidding, but they are seeing auctions still for the nicest house. And that's what, and it's these nicest houses that are selling. And that's why we've got this price going up right here, up still 13%. So if you're going to be fixing flipping, essentially what that I would translate that to is you got to step up your game. You got to make sure that your house is really, really nice. Because now the, the buyers have got a little bit more choice. They have a little bit more selection in the market. And so they are choosing to allocate their money towards those nicer homes and ignoring the rest. So that's where we're seeing the, the slowing of the sales activity. There's other houses that might not be in perfect condition. I mean, they might even be B pluses and A minuses, but that might not be good enough right now for this market as buyers are looking for the A's and the A pluses. So if you're fixing flipping, you got to bring it. No more cutting corners. Otherwise, you might be sitting on the market for a while. I think you'll still be fine long term. But if you've got hard money, you've got those expenses, you might be on there for a second. And that wraps up the epic show. If you found this episode valuable, who else do you know that might too? There's a really good chance you know someone else who would. And when their name comes to mind, please share it with them and ask them to click the subscribe button when they get here and I'll take great care of them. God loves you and so do I. Health, peace, blessings, and success to you. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. You didn't know, homeboy, we got the cash flow.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.